Let's hear God's word as we did last uh, Sunday evening. We turn to the second letter of Paul to Timothy, and tonight we read the first 14 verses of the first chapter. Second letter of the Apostle Paul to Timothy, and uh, page 1197. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit, who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Please look back with me at verse 7 again tonight. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love, and self-control. Let's recap 
what we said last Sunday evening, if you were here. Here is Paul writing to Timothy, the old apostle, nearing the end, to his young son in the faith, pastor, elder in the church in Ephesus, Timothy. And Timothy, you remember, is not only a young pastor, he appears to be a rather nervous pastor. His temperamental tendency is towards sensitivity and timidity. That's the way that Timothy seems to be. He's probably always been that way since he was a young boy. It's the way he was and the way he is. But the big point we made last Sunday was this. God does not give his people a spirit of fear, a spirit of cowardice, as we said. Or to turn it around, if you or I are dominated or governed or led by a spirit or attitude of fear, of timidity, of of cowardice, of, of shrinking back. This is not something that comes from God. It's not something that God himself gives us. It is not the Spirit of God that is like that. It's one thing to say that a Christian, any Christian, may well be disturbed by a fearful or an anxious thought. But it's quite another thing to say that a Christian is governed by such thoughts, dominated and driven and under the control of a spirit of fear. And this is where Paul needs to be, uh, needs to remind and encourage Timothy. Timothy, God did not give you nor me a spirit of fear, but a different spirit. And we said last week, and I hold to it again this week, that this spirit is none other than the Holy Spirit. The word for spirit in the Greek, pneumatos, there are no capital letters in the New Testament originally. We cannot tell if it's little s spirit or big s spirit. We have to make a deduction. But this seems to be the Holy Spirit. Whether it is or not, let's just say this. In the Old Testament, as well as in the New we do see examples of what we might call a different spirit, a better spirit. Do you remember a few weeks ago we were looking at Caleb? Caleb was one of two, only two spies uh, who went out from Moses into the land of Canaan to spy it out. There were 12 spies. Ten of them brought back a bad report and said, we can't go in, but Joshua and Caleb wanted to go into the land. And we read of Caleb that he had a different spirit. A different spirit to all the rest, apart from Joshua. And then we're told in the book of Daniel that when Daniel, an old man, uh, is praying to God, despite the fact that all of his colleagues, as it were, have ganged up on him and said, O King Darius, issue a decree that if any man prays to any god other than you, let him be thrown into a den of lions. We read there in Daniel 6 and verse 3 that Daniel, unlike all the other men, had an excellent spirit. And I want to say to you and to me this evening, brothers and sisters in Christ, we as Christians have that different spirit, that excellent spirit, that Holy Spirit. The spirit not of fear, 
The spirit not of cowardice, the spirit not of turning back, but the spirit of saying, I will walk by the spirit, I will keep in step, excuse me, with the spirit. Now you'll see here in verse 7 that there are three descriptions, there are three characteristics of the spirit that are mentioned here. There is power and there is love and there is self-control. And before we start looking at them, notice something. I've, I've noticed this this week. I don't see it in any commentators elsewhere. You may say to me, that's risky. You may well be wrong. I may well be wrong, but I don't know if I'm right or wrong, but I, I think I might be right. <laughs> but what a bold thing to say. But I think we can see with these three characteristics of power and of love and of self-control, that they all come from the Holy Spirit. They're all given by the Holy Spirit, and yet we can say this. The power, right, the first of them, the power, is all God's power. The love is both the love of God and the love that is in Timothy. And the self-control is all Timothy's self-control, because it's exactly that, it's self-control. The power of God, the love of God that is also in Timothy, and the self-control of Timothy, and yet all of these from the Holy Spirit. Now, we haven't got long tonight. I may only cover one tonight, I may cover two, I certainly won't cover all three. I want to leave the self-control for next Sunday evening because it's such a weighty and important subject. But we will certainly have a look tonight at God's power. And here we are then. Timothy. Timothy's not the kind of person that you would meet in the street and say, oh, what a guy, what an impressive-looking man Timothy is. Timothy, as the servant of the Lord felt very weak. It may have come across in his whole personal demeanor. Some of us are like that, aren't they? Some people, they come sort of muscling in and they have presence and they have a a certain uh, imposing uh, power about them. And not so with Timothy. But more so for Timothy. Timothy felt very weak and daunted when he thought about the task that was assigned to him. And we thought about this last week, didn't we? Dangerous false teachers and false teachings to contend with in Ephesus. What a headache and what a nightmare for Timothy. They seem to be there popping up all the time, these false teachers, disturbing things in the church. He had to also make sure that in the church there was proper order. Who were the elders? Who were the deacons? Who were the qualified men to undertake those various offices? There were the pastoral needs of many in the church. The widows, in particular, occupy a big part of the first letter in chapter 5. There are many widows who need caring for. There's the need for Timothy to go on preaching and ministering faithfully, as Paul says, in season and out of season which I take to mean when things, when the going seems good and when the going seems rather tough. But keep on going, Timothy. 
And all of this despite Timothy's own fluctuating health and his rather fluctuating temperamental condition. Timothy seems to feel very weak. But he's not the only one. The man writing to Timothy was no stranger to weakness. Oh no. We mustn't think that Paul never felt weakness or looked down on Timothy as a weaker brother or anything like that. No. Who was it who said to the Corinthians, who asked this question, Who is weak? And I am not weak, said Paul. Paul came to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, saying, When I came to you, I did not come with uh, great powerful words or eloquence or anything bold like that. I came in fear, in trembling, in great, in great weakness, he says. But he goes on to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, that passage of the thorn in the flesh, he says there, when I am weak, then I am strong. That's it. In fact, we can say that Paul's weakness made way for God's strength. It's better to be weak than to be strong in your own strength. And we've seen that time and again, haven't we, in this series on the subject of fear and encouragement. We started with weak and fearful David. We then saw weak, fearful, frightened, trembling Moses. We then saw weak and uncertain Abraham. All of them, for various reasons, all very weak in themselves. And another time... Maybe after half-term, God willing, we will come to look at weak Elijah at a point of great weakness in his life. But for all of these men, and brothers and sisters, for you and me, and maybe you're feeling weak, without trying to sound sadistic or anything like that, I, I, I wouldn't say it, but I hope you are feeling weak, if that means that you are not trusting in any strength of your own. The great lesson is this, from Zechariah 4 and verse 6. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. It's not by might, it's not by power, it's not by our power. It's by the spirit's power that all God's work is done. The work of God in this world. The work of the gospel. We thought this morning about that wonderful time in Grove Chapel's history in the 1980s when the church went from something like 33 members to a congregation of approaching 250 or so. And how did that happen? And why did that happen? Was it through human strength? Human ingenuity? No. Was it human might? Human power? No. It's by the Spirit of God the spirit of power. The people of God have always been 100% dependent on the power of God in every age. Why is that? Why must they be? Why do they need to be? Why do they need to pray? It's a very simple question. Why do Christians pray? Why do all churches, when they talk about a time of great blessing, 
and, and, and of strength and of numbers and of conversions, the kind of things that we look for and hope for and, uh, and long for. Why do they say every time there was prayer going on? There was prayer taking place. It's because prayer is that, is that expression, is that exercise of our dependence on the power that is all God's. Because the great work of God, the work of bringing men and women and children to salvation, is a work that only God can do. Our God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, He works salvation. His is the power. His is the glory. His work it is to bring people from darkness to light. Oh, we saw this, didn't we, this morning with that, that uh, harrowing and dramatic and yet wonderful account of the, of the demon-possessed man, Legion. We saw how he had been on that place for, for years and years in a state of complete destruction and never was a man more pitiful than Legion. He was crying out day and night. He was naked. He would grind his chains and shackles to pieces. He would cut himself with stones. None of the locals could do anything. No one could do anything for him until the day that Jesus Christ came and changed him and cast out those demons. The same we referred to this morning in that fifth chapter of Luke with the woman who had that flow of blood for 12 years, that poor, poor lady, 12 years of pain, 12 years of shame, 12 years of being shunned, 12 years of abject disappointment and, and fearfulness and being on the very fringes of humanity, 12 years of hopes being lifted and then dashed to the ground. No doctors could help her. All the money she'd spent on them to try and find that wonderful cure, thinking maybe today I'll be cured. Next morning wakes up, no, no, the problem's still there. Until the day that she touched the hem of the robe of Jesus and the power of Jesus, the Son of God, came out, went out into her and changed her. That's the only power that can save the power that raised Jairus' 12-year-old dead daughter back to life. And that is the thing, you see. Raised to life. What is this power of God? Timothy, waking up one morning in Ephesus, what image, what picture, what comparison should he have in his mind when he thinks about this power of God? As he reads these words of Paul, God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power. What power? How great is that power? Power enough to, to stop a, a river from flooding? Uh, power enough to explode a building and knock it down? Power enough to, to I don't know, to, to stop the, the wind and the waves from crashing into the shore? No, a greater power than that a greater power than any of these things. Paul, writing to the Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, he says, he speaks of this power, he says it's the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to, that is, like, the same power as the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead 
and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. That's the power of God. That's the gospel power of God. That's the power of God that we need. That's the power of God we should pray for and summon and say, Lord, exercise resurrection power among us, in us, and through us for the sake of your name. That those who are lost, that those who are far from you, should be brought from death to life. Timothy. Maybe it's a Monday morning and he's preached the Sunday and he's exhausted. A Monday comes at 7 o'clock and his alarm goes off, whatever happens in those days. And he thinks to himself, here we are, Monday morning in Ephesus. What have I got to do do today? To-do list. Oh no, not these false teachers. Oh no, not these issues in the church. Oh no, not more preaching. Oh no, not more of feeling so ill and so fearful and so unready for all of this. I can't do it. I feel tempted to bury myself under the duvet and my head under the pillow and say, I'm shutting the world out, stop the world, I want to get off. No, Timothy, no, Timothy. You've been given power, the spirit of power. How great is this power? It's resurrection power. It's the power that brought the dead body of Jesus out of the tomb. It's the power that rolled the stone away. It's the power that blinded and struck down the guards who were there at the tomb that night. It's the power that clothed the risen Jesus with resurrection authority in heaven and on earth. It's the power that knocked Saul of Tarsus off his tracks when he was on the road to Damascus in his own power, in his own arrogance, in his own strength, with his own agenda. And the power of Jesus turned him around 180 degrees and went him the other way, sent him the other way. It's the power that brought Timothy himself to life when he first heard the gospel. And as Timothy remembers this, as Timothy thinks on this, as Timothy perhaps turns to that letter by his bedside that Paul wrote to him and says, oh yes, there's this bit here about a spirit of power being given to me, isn't there? He reads it, he reads it again, and he begins to find his soul being energized, his spirit being comforted. He finds his strength returning. He finds he can sit up in bed, he can swing his legs over the bed, he can sit up, he can get up, and he can say to himself, I can't do it myself, I can't do it myself, There's a voice telling me to stay away from it all, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through the one who gives me the spirit of power. What more can we say about this power tonight? What is the power given to the church? What is the power given to Christians? What is the power given not only to preachers, but to every witness, to every evangelist, to everyone who gives a testimony. It's not the power of the sword. It's not the power of any kind of violence or coercion that forces people. It's not the power of emotional manipulation. It's not the power of trying to play on people's heartstrings alone. It's not the power of an impressive human personality 
who has human charisma and persuasiveness. It's not the power of sophisticated arguments that people may muster that sound plausible but are not rooted in the Bible. Neither is it the power of slick, engaging presentation or organization or anything like that. What is this power? It's what Paul calls elsewhere the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Paul himself knew about this. When he came to Corinth, as we've already related, he came in a state of tremendous personal weakness and trembling, he says. You turned up to Corinth one Sunday morning, and the Apostle Paul was down there to preach. You might have thought, well, I can't wait to hear Paul preaching. He'll come striding up to the platform, won't he? And he'll say, hi, I'm Paul, and I'm here to preach to you. And you listen to me. But he wasn't like that. He came in shaking. He came in head down, haggard-looking. Couldn't lift up his head, maybe. Couldn't make eye contact. He, he felt under a tremendous pressure. There'd been perhaps trouble with the Corinthian church. He felt under great strain. He wasn't a strong man when he came to preach. But there was a demonstration of the Spirit of God and of power when he did so. How? Why? Well, it's all through the clear, bold, uninhibited proclamation of Jesus Christ, mediated through a chosen, faithful servant of Christ. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy that needs to be channeled through him. Timothy, God gave you a spirit of power. Timothy, first of all, learn this. This is comforting for Timothy. Timothy, it's not your power. It never will be your power. If you thought it were your power, then you would be less powerful, ironically. If you try to muster up your own power in yourself to be powerful as Timothy, being powerful Timothy, it won't work. It's not about that. It's all God's power. It's all him. And yet, and yet, it's channeled through Timothy. It's channeled through Paul. It's channeled through servants. It's an amazing thing. Who are preachers? Who are evangelists? Who are any Christians? Are they strong in themselves? Are they mighty in themselves? Have they got some magical inherent quality that makes people go, wow? Well, that's not what it's about. It shouldn't be about that. It's about God being in them and working through them and out of them so that others see that God is there. We think of C.H. Spurgeon, perhaps, maybe preeminently in British culture, English, Christian, uh, Reformed, nonconformist culture, C.H. Spurgeon, Metropolitan Tabernacle, 1855 to 1892, the preeminent example of a powerful preacher. You've maybe read his sermons and his quotes, and you've thought, what a man, what a wit, for one thing. What a way with words. What an impressive person he was. Now, let's just think about Spurgeon for a few moments. The power that Spurgeon knew 
working through him and in him and out of him to others was not his power. In Spurgeon's early years in the ministry, when vast crowds were gathering to hear him, 1850s, there was great revival going on in what was then the New Park Street pulpit where, where Spurgeon was preaching. He was in his early 20s. Spurgeon was a man of extraordinary gifts, and you can read the opening volume of the uh, New Park Street pulpit, and you can read the very words Spurgeon preached as a 20-year-old, and he'd been preaching from the age of 15, and he used language that would be more fitting for a seasoned preacher in his 60s, and you think, what's going on here? But this is all the power of God in him, you see. But my point that I want to make is this. During these years, Spurgeon, every Sunday morning, would routinely suffer from an anxiety and a terror that would actually make him physically sick morning by morning on Sundays. And he would learn to say to himself as he mounted the pulpit steps, with each step he took, some of you know this story, he would say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. That's the secret. That's the secret for any preacher. And friends, brothers and sisters, that's the secret for any Christian. That you say to yourself each day, especially when you face something a little bit daunting, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Spirit of power, the Spirit of love, and the Spirit of self-control. I want to be extremely brief, just saying a few things about love uh, tonight before we close. I don't want to take nearly as long as I just have. I'll just be very short time indeed. I just want to reiterate what I said before. What is this love? This love, the spirit of love, is again the Holy Spirit at work in the life of Timothy and all believers. But it's a love that is in God, and it's a love that is also in the heart of Timothy. We can't underestimate the love of God, can we? Here is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation, the, the atoning sacrifice who turns away sins for his people. That's love. This is love. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But this is the thing. That love is not only in God. The power is all in God. That's absolutely clear. The power is all God's power. But Timothy and every preacher and every Christian is a partaker of the love of God, knows something of the love of God. What's my proof text for that? Well, it's Romans 5 verse 5. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We know the love of God. We have the love of God in our hearts, the love we receive from God, but also the love, as it were, the love of God going out from us. A love for God and indeed a love for other people. 
Final thing I would say here is to think about that day when the Apostle Peter was reinstated by the Lord Jesus Christ after the resurrection. And you remember how it goes, don't you? That touching scene by the Sea of Galilee. A fish breakfast. And there's Peter. Peter still feeling, no doubt, rather sheepish after having denied Jesus three times. And Jesus, three times, taking him back, retracing his steps, and saying, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Because if you're going to be my servant, and this is not just for preachers, I repeat, this is for every Christian who wants to be useful. Do you want to be a useful Christian? If you want to be a useful Christian, the first essential requirement is this, that you love Jesus Christ. You may say, I don't love him enough. If you love him truly, you will say that. None of us love him enough. But we see that he so loves us, and we love him. And that is the essential qualification, that we say, yes, Lord, I love you. You know my heart, and you know that I love you. Jesus does not want disciples who don't love him. What good are they to him? They're not disciples at all. But then, of course, Jesus says, each time Peter answers, he gives him an instruction. Simon, do you love me? Okay. Feed my lambs. Take care of the sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed the flock. Love them. How can you feed them if you don't love them? How can you be a blessing to other Christians if you don't love them? Timothy, you won't last a day in Ephesus in the ministry there if you don't love the people you're ministering among, as well as loving the Lord you're serving. And that's true, isn't it? In Christian ministry, it's true in the Christian life. It's true in church life. We sang it this morning. Jesus, his new commandment to us, that we love one another as he has loved us. The Spirit of God is for you and for me. The Spirit of the power that is all God's. But that Spirit is... It's the spirit of the love of God that burns in our hearts. A love that reaches out to the Lord in response to the love we receive from him. And that love that then reaches out to others whom Christ has also loved. A love that embraces the family and says, brothers, sisters, mothers... And it goes a step further, doesn't it? And it says, outsiders, outsiders, we love you too. We want you to come in. We want you to come and hear about Jesus. We're going out to you. We're telling you, even though you may reject us, we want to be patient with you. We want you to know that we love you. We want you to know that God so loved us, that he saved us, and he's put a love in our hearts that is a love like we never knew before. And it's a love we want to spread all over the world so that all will come in and all will hear of every age, of every background, no matter where you've come from, no matter how bad you've been, that you are, that you are loved by us because a loving Savior has sent us and he is the one who defines what love is. This is what we need, isn't it? 
Holy Spirit, the Spirit not of fear, but of power and love. And God willing, next Sunday evening, the Spirit of self-control, so needed, so needed, especially today. Let's have some time to be quiet and to pray together. Lord, in the time we have, we bring before you our own fearful and anxious thoughts. We think about perhaps the people that we might be wary of seeing today or tomorrow. We think about the situations, O oh Lord, uh, that may cause us to become troubled and to lose sleep at night. We think about those unresolved relationships, circumstances, where we may have a sense of apprehension. O oh Lord our God, we have heard your word and we have seen that us, not just Timothy, not just Paul, not just preachers and pastors and, and those who serve in a particular way, but the us of the Christian community, to us is given this spirit, a spirit that is not of fear, but a spirit of your power, resurrection power. Lord, we pray for those who we have been exercised for who are very far away from you, those we long to see being converted and saved. And Lord, in our prayers now, we lay hold of your resurrection power and say, Lord, exercise that power in their lives. Just as the dead body of Jesus that was lifeless and cold behind a stone-sealed tomb was moments later risen outside the tomb in resplendent glory and power. Let the same power, we pray, be at work through us in this world, in the same world where Jesus walked, where Jesus died, where Jesus rose. Lord our God, comfort us. Put courage in our hearts. Put fresh vigor in our souls. Strengthen, O oh Lord, our weak knees and our hands that hang loose. Help us, Lord, to walk with firm knees and ankles, as it were, to run with endurance the race that is set before us, ever looking unto Jesus, Jesus himself. Lord, come and encourage your saints here for another week of life and service. We pray all in Jesus' name. Amen.